This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, this week's guest is Paul Harfleet. He is an artist, and his work in the Pansy Project inspired the crap out of me. I was so excited to be able to finally get on a chance to talk to this person. Hey, also, my stand-up special, Rape Jokes, was a year old this week, last week, the week I'm recording this. And so I just want to say thank you all who watched it and donated. And if you haven't had a chance yet, we almost hit $100,000 and um, it's still available for free on my website, CameronEsposito.com and you can donate. So thank you and enjoy the episode. I always have folks introduce themselves. Would you, would you introduce yourself? I will. Um, my name is Paul Harfleet, um, and I'm an artist. I plant pansies at the site of homophobic hate crime and take a photograph and put it on my website, thepansyproject.com. I also have written a book called Pansy Boy, which um, I wrote and illustrated, which introduces the, the notion to children. Uh, introduces the notion. What notion introduces the, the notion, notion of, of the Pansy Project? I, I first of all, I love this. Thanks. I love this so much. Um, I can't remember how. I can't remember if how my producer got information about you. Um, uh-huh. But however it was, I was just like, yes, I would love to talk to this person. This is such a cool idea. So when did you start doing this? When did you start planting pansies? It was in 2005 in Manchester, the in, UK. Yeah, I was going to say, in the UK, uh, yes, which yes. maybe we could know based on your... Um, yes, I'm, I'm actually in London at the moment. <laughs> that's rad. I hear it in your, in your voice. Um, yeah, you started in 2005. What was the impetus? What, was, what made you th- think of this? So at the time, I, I was doing an MA in uh, fine art. Where I just finished an MA in fine art. Which is and a master's of art. Is that yes, what it is? Okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> Got it. Um, yeah, it's different there. And um, so I am a master of art. Ooh, and I <laughs> art master. <laughs> yes, I am. And um, I was making work that was sort of about the street and about the city. And um, I'd made some weird pieces I'd kind of taken a photograph of a an arrow that was pointing down and sort of jokingly wrote this letter to the council saying that there was directions to hell and they should sort sort it out and things. So I was making kind of st- slightly strange work. But then on one particular day, I experienced three separate incidences of homophobia. And uh, they were kind of not very violent. It was like someone sat shouting, I think it's about time we went gay bashing again, isn't it? And someone... Um, was sort of throwing stones at my boyfriend and I that, that after later that day. So it was kind of, it, was, it wasn't something that was completely unusual to me. Where were you when all this was happening? 
just near where I live in Manchester. And it, it's funny because Manchester is kind of renowned. It's kind of the birthplace of Crow's folk and it has a gay village and, it, it, you know, it has a, a reputation of being a safe city, which generally it is. But I had just become accustomed to being shouted at the street. And then this one day I thought, this is just insane and this is really upsetting me and I really want to do something about it. So I just started thinking about how I could change the way that I remembered these experiences and these locations. So that was, that's the sort of short story. (laughs) And are you from, are you from Manchester? Like grew up there? No, I grew up um, in sort of South, just outside London. And then I moved to Edinburgh when I was 14. And then when I was about 20, I moved to Manchester. So, um, and I was there for nearly 20 years. So, um, yeah, I was there for a long time. I know you said you had been accustomed to, or like getting used to being shouted at on the street. Do, Do you remember, is this throughout your life? Is there a time when this changed and there was an uptick? Is this your experience of being in the world? I think it changed. I think I sort of became, it started happening to me when I was about 17, 16, 17 in the street when I was walking around. And this is in Edinburgh. And I was wearing kind of extravagant clothes and wearing hats and things. And I was sort of like a bit proud about it when I was sort of noticed and shouted at. But then when it sort of, when I started to just wear kind of less extravagant clothes, I, um, I don't know, it was just the violence of it that became really apparent to me at that point. And it was the fact that it happened three times in one day that was the catalyst for it. And I think for me, when I was talking to people about, about the experience of it happening three times in one day, some of my friends were like, that happens to you at all? Because it's something you just don't really talk about. I, I just would sort of swallow it up and kind of internalize it. And were those straight friends or queer friends that were surprised? Both, actually. So, I, so I'm quite a gay looking person. So, um, and actually I used to be a drag queen and I got less hassle when I was a drag queen, weirdly, than when that, I was sort of... That actually, that that makes sense to me for some reason, you know, like... Oh, I, because drag queens are kind of scary. I was quite scary, I guess, yeah. Scary and also maybe maybe displaying like this sort of overblown confidence, you know, like mm. where just walking as yourself through the world is um, just like challenging in a different way. Like, you know, scary and like, oh, man, this person really knows that they're that they're okay like i i'm a, i'm also somebody that gets um that has things said to me on the street you know not mm-hmm. not all queer folks do and that's not to say like uh i think queer folks that are that maybe are a little bit more invisible to straight people they have that has its own whole slew of things going on you know like that's that's difficult in a different way, but I'm somebody yeah. like you who has things said at me and it happened to me most recently um, on the street where I live and mm-hmm. by somebody that I hadn't seen there before. So it was like, I know a lot of my neighbors, like this is my street, you know, and I don't, and then this person um, crossed the street to 
call me a dyke and then crossed back over and went into a house. It was so wild to me because I could see where they were going. Like I just <laughs> like the bravado of that, of somebody being like, I'm going to say something terrible to you. And I don't even care if you know where I live or where I'm visiting. You know, I was just like, holy shit, this person is next level. Um, but I say this because it, it happened so recently that I, like I, I had sort of forgotten. I felt shaky, you know, afterwards. I felt like I didn't know what was going to happen. Like he called me, you know, he like, I knew, I knew words were happening, but I didn't mm. know what else could happen, you know? So like he. I think that's the, th that's the point, isn't it? Because right. when I kind of think a lot about how the journey you go through when you have that experience is that you either you kind of internalize it and you're sort of you run or you kind of react in a violent way but for me most of the time I would just kind of like like scuttle away but then you have those kind of experiences and then afterwards you feel a sense of guilt that you didn't do anything about it and it's all that whole kind of the journey that you carry it carry on with throughout your day is really disturbing to me. So now when it happens to me, I just go, okay, where's the nearest soil? I'm going to come back here and plant a pansy if I don't have them on me. I should come and plant one for you. Was this in LA? Yeah, this is in LA. Come on over. Yeah, I'll have to come. <laughs> that sounds but great. I can show you the exact place. Yes. Uh, well, and the thing that's amazing about it is that when I plant it with people who have experienced it, they have this... Um, well, because I have it, I had it when I first planted them for my own experience. I had this experience that was, I was felt emotionally calmed by it. It's a very odd ritual that you do. You go to the place, you go back to it. I or you or whoever digs a hole into the ground. You plant a pansy. I take hundreds of photographs um, and then you kind of leave it there. I give it some water and then I sort of leave it there to kind of be in that place. And it does something. It's quite amazing. I planted one in Canada with someone uh, just a couple of weeks ago and they cried when I planted it for them. And it, it sort of, you carry it with you in a very sort of subtle, insidious kind of way. And it's that that... Um, staggers me still about the, the idea that I have had that still I keep doing it because it's 15 nearly 15 years later and it still fascinates me that I can do this yeah I mean I think I think I also experience I bet you can under I bet you can relate to this but yeah. I also experienced that that thing afterwards where you go oh I wish I would have said this and by the way it's always like no, I don't. Like, given a long enough time, I'm not like, I wish I had this perfect, like, it doesn't matter. That doesn't, but it does feel like, along with that guilt, it's like that burden of like, why couldn't I have had a better response? Why couldn't I have predicted this person was going to do this thing? Like, this sort of disappointment in ourselves. And what I love about this action is that it, it's, a concrete thing that kind of takes the place of that, that like weird mm. regret feeling afterwards, but which yeah. by the way, it's like, there isn't actually, it's not on me. I didn't <laughs> exactly. do something wrong, but there is that whole set of things. So if only I had like, whatever kicked him in the balls or like had the, you know, whatever the thing is, I just, I love yeah. that it, that it sort of takes the place of that, yeah. that, that feeling afterwards that I wish I had been different.
yeah, wish I had defended it's, it's, myself more. I know. I just it is, and the thing as well is that because it started from my own experience initially, um, and that was it was great that I could do that, and I started taking photographs and sharing the photographs and making work about it and um, exhibiting the photographs what started happening quite quickly is that then I was able to plant them for other people. And that's Mm. kind of how it's grown really. Um, So, and I suppose that's, what's really amazing for me to be able to do that for other people. And I've now I've done it all over the world. The thing that is um, sort of similar for everyone is that feeling that you discuss. Yes. It's kind of, it's just that the emotion that comes with that and the way that you kind of are somehow disrupting the urban environment in which you navigate is the thing that we all have in common as queer people. That's what we do. And for me, it's kind of amazing that we can do that, but it just helps all of this stuff, I guess. Has anybody ever asked you what you're doing, like while you're actually doing the planting? Well, yes, a lot, because what happens is that when I plant the pansy, in order to take the photograph, I want the pansy to dominate the picture. So I have to get on the ground. I have to lie down on the ground to do that. And And I describe myself as an artist who takes photographs. I'm not a photographer. So I have to take hundreds of photographs to make sure I get a good one. <laughs> so I'm there for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, sometimes hours, actually, depending on the light. But people will walk past and uh, often they think I'm dead or that I've been hurt or I'm like, I've fallen over. And in London, people will just step over you because you're just like in their way. But in other cities where it's not so busy, people will come up to you and go, are you okay? Are you all right? And it's kind of an interesting thing when I'm with other people, because mostly I do it on my own. But when I'm with other people, um, they see that. They see that I'm lying there where sometimes people could have been knocked to the ground. I'm then lying exactly where they were and sort of, Bombing the city, if you like. So it's that sort of thing that works. There's another layer. And I always make sure that I dress nicely when I'm doing it because it's part of this sort of performance. So I sort of, I don't dress like a gardener. I kind of wear my nice clothes and I don't care that I get dirty. I just kind of do it. And it kind of adds to this sort of slightly performative element of it. What do you say when when people ask you what's going on? You describe the whole thing? Or do, well, what do, you, do you have a shorthand? What do you do? That's another interesting thing because I have to decide there and then if it's safe for me to come out. Right. Because sometimes I'll just say, oh, I'm just a guerrilla gardener. Or sometimes I will tell them the whole story. I just have to kind of read the the street where I am. And that's also another echo of that experience of what that I'm marking is I have to come out or not. I don't know. It depends. And often if I'm with other people or sometimes if I'm being filmed or something doing it, then it's different. But when I'm on my own, um, people are generally nice. I've been shouted at when I've been actually planting one to mark experiences, which is not good. But, you know, those sorts of things happen because I'm still disrupting the city and I still <laughs> look a particular way and I'm still kind of being noticed. Man, that is, this is so, it's so interesting because, I mean, I guess I'm just, we're like Skyping or whatever this yeah. thing is, so I can see yeah. you. And yeah. um, I mean, I, I, what do you think are the queer markers that you're bringing into the world that people are noticing about you? Do you, do you have an ident- an understanding of what that is? I think I know what well, mine are. I think there's a thing, there's a few things going on. Obviously, I've been doing it for so long. I've done a lot of research about why people 
do this. There's certain, there's some research that suggests that there's an attraction going on because I'm so handsome, people are attracted to me and they're <laughs> repulsed by that and then they react to it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry well, about this handsomeness burden. It's such a shame. Yeah. No, but in, and there's, there's, for lots of queer people who are navigating the city, they're noticed in some way, maybe they're attractive, maybe they're wearing a particular thing, but there's something that happens to someone who is very homophobic or is very, very closeted that makes them react angrily to the presence of someone who is gay around them or queer or whatever. And I think this changes when it's trans issues because there's another layer and a different understanding of it then. Right. But it's just, I think it's, there's part of it is that, you know, there's this study where um, they, they studied homophobes, people who had been put into prison for homophobic hate crime. And they did experiments on them and they put electrodes on their penises and they um, showed them images of women and men and they reacted more strongly to the images of men. So there's a suggestion that homophobes are actually very closeted and are so have so much internalised homophobia that they react really angrily. It's a kind of a, a bit of a development of that idea <clears throat> of um, gay panic. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I have to say, I mean, even if there's research that suggests that, I hate that idea, just between yeah. you and I, because it puts, you know what I hate about that? I hate that it puts the homophobe back in our community. It's uh, Here in the States, one thing that's been happening, like, during the last, during this presidency is, you know, Mike Pence is our vice president, and yeah. he is, um, like, one of these, like, he's, like, fully like rocketed into space in his, in his Christianity. Like the stuff that comes out of his mouth is, I mean, he, he relaxed the laws around gun purchasing in Indiana and created like a epidemic of gun violence in Chicago, which is where I'm from. He defunded Planned Parenthood and created an an outbreak of HIV in his home state. And like that person running around talking about like their goodness, you know, it's, it's that, it's that kind of Christianity that just makes you want to like decapitate yourself, you know, just be like, I can't (laughs) even live in this world, you know? Um, (laughs) But uh, a lot of times people will say about him because he's so overtly homophobic. They'll be like, you know, he's clearly queer. And it just, it like boils my blood because I'm just like, I, I wish, I wish that straight people could own this coming from their community. Like to me, even if the research exists, I just hate that research because I'm like, (laughs) no, fuck you. This isn't us creating this problem for ourselves. Like you are the people in power. It has to be the people in power that change things. So I don't know. That's just I, I my agree, reaction to that research. It makes me I, so fucking mad. I want. I, I know, just want to. That's fascinating. But I think it's we are all humans, aren't we? Ultimately, there's the the similarity between us is much bigger than the difference. So the fact that I don't know whether that research is true, but uh, but the point is, is that there's people are filled with fear and hate and that's what happens when and it, it, whether it's their own self-hatred or the hatred of what they perceive to be other is the main thing isn't it so the kind of 
that what the, the hatred of the research I get because it's like that. Who gives a shit? Just don't shout at me. <laughs> you know what, dif- <laughs> what difference? What difference does exactly. it make? Exactly. Yeah, handle a, your the, business. That's what it yeah. makes me just say. Yo, handle you like keep it. You know. I'm walking through the world not shouting at people. You exactly. think that people sometimes, are pissing me off? I, sometimes I feel like pissed I imagine, off. Imagine what it would be like if you started, you know, say say if someone's wearing a red coat, just <laughs> shouting them, going, you're wearing a red coat. You know, <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> what does it, it's just a weird thing. I just don't get it. It's so weird. I don't know. I don't know. It is weird. I. It but, is weird. But it's almost, it's, there's a lot of the time, um, homophobia happens when people are walking through the street and lots of the, I've planted nearly 300 individual pansies now for various people. And I, I don't know what the percentage is, but a large majority of people are shouted at from a moving car. So right. people are driving along, mm-hmm. they're seeing someone that is, that as they think of as queer, and then they decide to wind down their window, form a sentence and shout at them and continue driving while they're doing it. I think it's almost impressive that you would be that filled with hate, <laughs> that you would make that much oh, of an effort to tell us all about it. I completely agree. I mean, I will also say, this is just, this is a thing that I will talk about for myself. I... Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to find like something I know about myself is that I can find straight men to be pretty threatening. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if I'm on like, let's say I'm on a bus, city bus or something like that, or, or the subway, um, if I see like a straight couple together and, um, the dude is sort of physically around her in a way that seem that like, seems to be dominating I it really upsets me you know so like the funny thing is sometimes I feel like when somebody's yelling something like that like I actually I think I am experiencing maybe I think I have I think I know what that experience is because if I see that in the world like I'm like oh this is gross like it's gross and I I feel like I have to like save her like liberate this woman you know what'd you say you feel like you're going to shout at them. Like I, so much of me is like, 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 yeah, you're like, get her out. Like, I don't even, and it's, I'm not, I'm imagining things that aren't even happening. So, but I don't shout, you know? So to your point about the organization, the mental organization of the person who like has, has the, um, the forethought to say something and then the privilege to scoot it out of their mouth. Like I don't have, I've never had that experience. I've never been in this situation on this train and then been like, like, fuck, like straight, like, fuck you. Straight, straight people. <laughs> you know, like I've, I've never done it once. Can you imagine? Well, actually, you know, I have, well, I'm, well the, the only time I can think of being slightly like that was when, when I lived in Manchester and I was a drag queen, that there was the gay village was, I saw it grow and develop and become the thing that it was. And as is, what happens generally, I'm sure it's happened there, is when you have gay places erupt and then loads of people are coming and then suddenly there's like a a, a, bar, a bar that's kind of gay friendly and you're a bit like, oh, I see what's going on. I know what you're so talking about, yeah. I, and I was like, when this bar opened in Manchester, I was like, yeah, how dare you open a bar that's not gay on the street? <laughs> and I got myself in drag without being paid and I was like, I'm going to go to this bar in drag so you know where you are and you know 
who you're dealing with in this in this place. And I was kind of almost looking around the room going, okay, <laughs> who's going who's gonna to take me on? And no one's going to because I'm six foot four right. in drag with big hair. So, um, but that's kind of how I can't, sometimes I get kind of annoyed like that in that sort of way. And still where there's like gay bars in, in London and the kind of the balance is slightly off, I'm like, what are you doing here? This is our safe space. We need this safe space because of the way that, the shit that happens out in the street. We need it. Yeah. I guess I just think it's important to talk about that stuff because, you know, for for you or I, it might seem so impossible to understand what somebody's even feeling that there's. And yeah. it's like discomfort and fear and, you know, and that's what's going on. It's just that, you know, somebody else decides to, like, actually allow it to leave their lips. Yeah, which I think we So that's a very different weird. thing. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Wow. So let's see. I'm doing the math. So like almost 15 years you've yes. been doing this. And is this a project that you hope to do, like, say, for the rest of your life? Is it something that you hope continues to grow? Is it something you feel like I've actually kind of done this and I'm wrapping up on it? Where are you with that? I think um, the thing that's interesting for me the, the, the hilarious thing is that I've been doing it for so long. I don't know how many times I've said pansies in my life because I've planted so many and I speak about it so much, but I kind of still continue to be really interested in it. And mm. I still, um, I, the, the fact is, is that people around the world don't know this idea. So when someone comes across the idea, it's totally new to them. And I want to be the ambassador that tells them about it. And the stories that I've now gathered are really important and sort of significant and I'm marking murders where people have been killed and well locations where people have been killed rather and to tell those stories with the work is really important and there's been times when I've been like I don't know if I can do this anymore and at that point then I might do something a bit different with it and I, that's why I started writing the book and mm -hmm. illustrating the book and did all of that kind of business and but the heart of the project is the planting the pansies. And I still am constantly looking for that perfect picture, which is the pansy is big and you can, you can read the location. And I kind of, I'm still in love with it and I still want it to get better all the time. And I still travel with it all over the place. The places where it escalated, where the, you know, name calling or slurs escalated mm. to violence and then, like you're saying, murder. How are you finding out about those things? Are you are you like reading about it and then going? Is a family member contacting it's, you? How does that happen? 
generally when what happens is I'm invited a lot of the time ver- through various festivals. So when I was in Ottawa last m- month, um, I went there for an exhibition of my photographs at Spau Gallery and was working with Quart, a queer arts collective, and they had contacted me and asked if I would come to Ottawa. So then I, that once all the stuff is sorted out, then I'll start doing some research and inevitably there's a, a some significant story that has happened there there's usually some sort of terrible murder somehow and I will start looking into the sort of the reports that, that are in the press I'll also use social media to do call outs for locations and that kind of helps bring it into the present day which is kind of interesting in Ottawa there in um I marked a location for Alan Brousseau, who was uh, killed 30 years ago. And um, so I planted a pansy for him. And it was a really terrible case. He was, I'm not going to go into it, but he was, it was a really terrible case. And he, and what's happened is that since that, when that happened, it was a sort of a catalyst for the community. And they reacted and they kind of worked with the police and it helped things get better ultimately. Um, And, what ended up and so I suppose for me what happens then is that that is a historical document it becomes part of the marking the homophobia of the city and what is then relevant and and important I think is that I then mark the present experience of homophobia because I think culturally a lot in a lot of cities in the western world we think it's done we think we've won that battle the community think we've won it a lot of the time that certain people do anyway, I think. And um, so, and in the press, I think it helps keep telling that story because I think in our community, we understand that it's still an everyday battle, but I think the straight world believe that it's done. They've, they're like, okay, we're over this now and we don't need to do any more work on that because it's all done and you've got gay marriage, you've got all that. So the fact is that it's still loads of work to do and, that's still why, why I keep doing it, I guess. Yeah, I think that's so important to to bring up. I mean, here in the U.S. where this is the 50th anniversary of Stonewall this year, yes. that's yeah. like really dominating the sort of pride news cycle because yeah. we're in June, which is Pride Month here. And so it's like now every news organization will put out its like 12 pride articles or whatever. Like, And, and this year it's just going to mostly be stonewall focused and there's a bunch of documentaries coming out and you know the stupid fucking president i think tweeted some random support for pride month like the first time that this person has mentioned anything since taking office and you know that's going to be sort of to bait a Mm. specific conversation going into the election like where he can be like i am or voters can be like he does you know and and meanwhile he's um supporting legislation that will make it possible for EMTs and emergency room doctors and other doctors to not provide care to queer folks um, based on a religious exemption. Yeah. So it's like, you know, he's, he's the worst. Right. And, but it is sort of a thing where when the pride cycle, it's like, we have to remember that Stonewall happened, that the Stonewall riots happened. But when the pride cycle is dominated by that and, you know, leaves out black trans women being killed on the street, then we do ourselves a disservice 
presenting mm. beyond our community borders because it's exactly what you're talking about. It's like, wow, 50 years ago this happened? Holy shit. Wow. You know, and it's like, no, no, today this happened. Yeah. And 50 years ago. Because I was, I was in um, D.C. last year, actually, and I planted pansies around the city. And what was – I actually planted one outside the White House to wow, mark something yay. that um, I mean, Donald not, Trump had not, said. But yes. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of terrifying because it was like security and all that kind of stuff. But I did it really quickly and took photographs. And there's a pansy there. And it kind of had this look of Donald Trump, which is weird. And I planted it in the White House in the background. And I kind of did it. And it's, I think the pansy Yeah, how called. did you? Where, where <laughs> physically, where is it? Like, is it, it's, it's on this... It's, you know, the lawn, um, not on the lawn, lawn, yeah. but there's like the gates and then there's a thing, there's a park. So yes. the pansy is so small, I can get quite far away and the pansy is in the foreground and the White House is in the background. So yeah. I don't actually have to be that close for it to look like I've planted it at the White House, which of course I did, but um, it's close enough for if anyone saw me do it, what they would say, what the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was marking his comments about Mark, Mike Pence, actually, when he had made some, I think Donald Trump had actually said, don't speak to him about gay issues. He wants, he wants to, to hang kill them all. Yeah, hang them all, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. So I planted one for him. But the other thing is that, well, f- not for him, against him. And um, the thing that was really tragic, actually, in D.C. was the amount of trans murders I was marking because, and the 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 shot, the, the kind of, um, so many people were shot to death. So many trans women, black trans women were shot to death there, like half of the pansies I planted. Because generally, I, depending on how long I'm there, I plant about 25. And about half of the pansies were for trans murder, which was just, it's so heartbreaking. Because for me, the the thing that's really interesting as the project has evolved is that because it started as an autobiographical project, I was initially like, okay, well, this is about my experiences. I'm a a white cisgendered gay man who is doing this project about what I'm, what my experience is, but I didn't want to kind of force it on other members of the community saying, this is for you too. And, you know, you can be here. I didn't, it didn't feel like it was authentic then, but what has happened over the years is that I've of course been always open for people, for me to plant pansies at the, at the, the sort of site of anything, any kind of experience of homophobia, depending on how, or transphobia. But I think over the years, it's been become more part of the project. And I kind of feel like now is a very important time to be very vocal about that because of how much more present trans people are in our community. And it feels like it's really, really important. And it's just, uh, you know, just, just heartbreaking how many, trans people are being killed and it's it's i do believe it's the same root as homophobia it is coming from the same place it's that fear of difference and the you know the misogyny and homophobia and transphobia are all wrapped up in some hideous little ball yeah those are all those are all best friends with each other for sure yeah Um, Yeah, they're having a nice time somewhere yeah (laughs) yeah you know i'm curious also because and I know you said you didn't fully want to get into the, the details in Ottawa. So however much of this that, you know, feels like you want to just discuss. But you saying um, people being shot, mm-hmm. I guess also as, you know, to your understanding, when it does escalate to violence, have you noticed a difference in what that looks like? Like, like somebody being 
shot in DC right mm. now. Actually, that feels um, that feels like America right now. You know what I mean? Like that. Like that. That feels like the way that person. But I'm curious. You know, in Ottawa, 30 years ago, like, is that story? Is is are, are the details of the story different, or is it? You know the same. Well, I'll tell I'll tell you what happened was is that in in nineteen in the nineteen eighty nine ish that kind of time there was this sort of I this movement if you like of straight guys that would go to this place called Majors Hill Park in just behind Parliament in Ottawa, and they would go they would the, the queer community would use that as a cruising ground, and straight guys would go there thinking that they were easy targets, and they would go and sort of push them around and and mug them and because it was by the side of a cliff they referred it to they referred to it as roll a queer that's what they kind of said oh we're going to go and roll a queer it was like this common parlance that they used at the time and it was happening a lot there was at least five people that, that were recorded for being killed at that location and then when Alan Brousseau was killed. He was happened to be he lived he worked in a hotel nearby, and he happened to be walking through the park. And these guys spotted him, started chasing him through the park to this place called Alexandra Bridge, and they grabbed him and they threw basically dangled him over the bridge, said "nice shoes, faggot," apparently, and then dropped him over the bridge, and he died. And the tragedy of it was. Not only just that it was a tragedy, but he was straight. So the fact that he, the community believed that he was gay for a few months, apparently, and it was reported that he was gay. But actually, when it became apparent that he was straight, that's when the straight community reacted in the way that the gay people, the gay community were um, asking for. And it was (gasps) those sorts of, it's a really, and it's a very significant and historic kind of, death and it's being marked at the time and all of those kind of things it's just a really um sort of really tragic the loads of artists actually have made some work about that whole story and and like barry ace has made a really beautiful thing and carl stewart made some work about it which is a video called nice shoes faggot so the fact that it has that sort of the weirdness of the layers of the story and the the different way that different people had experienced it was really intense but the sad and tragic thing for me is that I will always find those stories. There's some really, you know, just terrible stories that you hear about when there's murder is involved. Um, and the, the, I suppose there's, you know, the, America is not short of those stories. But neither is here, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that's uh, something the, the globe has in common, those stories. Uh, yeah. But also, I mean... You know, that we also have in common the stories where when an issue sort of breaks the bounds of the queer community, then that's when it becomes more important. You know, I'm thinking of like the AIDS crisis, for instance. Yeah. I don't even, I have literally have no idea what what happened with uh, HIV and AIDS in the UK. But here, you know, what happened is that when. Yeah, here. I was growing up at that point. So it was a a similar. In the late 80s, that was when I was kind of coming out. So I had the same sort of experience and the same horror of it. And I had people around me who were dying. But so, and in Edinburgh, actually, that's where I was at the time. That was a a bit of a hub of HIV and AIDS. So um, it was kind of brutal, of course. Yeah, I mean, here what happened that sort of 
changed the trajectory of the whole conversation is that there was like a young kid. I mean, we don't, I don't, I think he was presumed to be straight because humans are presumed to be straight. Um, yeah. Named Ryan White, who was a hemophiliac and he mm-hmm. had a, a blood transfusion that uh-huh. the blood was HIV positive. Um, And so he was famous. He became like a famous case where it's like he was, he had like blonde hair. He was cute. He was young. It wasn't Mm. uh, transmitted to him through sex or through drug use, which like obviously as a, as a nation at the time, we were throwing those people in the trash. Like if this came to you through drug use or through sex, then like you've brought it on yourself and, and you are disposable to us. I mean, that, you know, that was definitely the messaging that was happening. And then here, yeah. here comes this kid. And I was like a child at the time. He was, it was a huge, it was a huge deal because like he was on like, he had like his own after school special. He was like on TV all the time when he, and he, he died, he died of AIDS. And that was wow. like a national, there was like national mourning for him. And I think it really like, that is, that is when the conversation changed. It was uh-huh. a it was a person. It was like a marked person that that person changed the conversation because then, like as a culture, it's like well, but this is but this is an innocent person. I mean, of course, like sex and drug use also makes you an innocent person, you know. But but for for uh, like People Magazine, it was a different yeah. story that they could tell, and for the president, you know, at the time it was a different story that he could tell. So it changed yeah. it changed things a lot. So anyway, when it, whenever those stories kind of. It's like the tragedy of it is that he was, you know, yeah. a young straight yeah. boy or whatever. The tragedy of it is that he was a, a straight man with nice shoes or whatever. And it's like yeah. the tragedy of it is also that we didn't give a fuck till those other people were affected. Exactly. exactly. Well, it kind of it's it's a bit like uh, Matthew Shepard that when he was killed, um, it was, he was cute and that kind of garnered a lot of attention. I remember that case from even here, we mm-hmm. heard about that. And that, of course, has created a load of, um, I say load, like it's a negative thing, but a lot of kind of reflection and movement and work about it. And I think it is that, it's the same thing with it. it I think it's, it is, of course, it's it's rooted in homophobia, but there's also, it's it's racism and misogyny as well of course it's all kind of soaked in into those like three friends (laughs) it's kind of like it's that whole it's that whole thing about if there's a if there's a black young child who's missing in London it's going to get some coverage but if it was a blonde pretty girl then she's going to get all the news like Madeleine McCann had here this is a famous girl that went missing and um so it is but I don't know I suppose the news works in that way, doesn't it? It's terrible. I don't know. I think social media changes that, I guess. I don't know. It's well, it changes it, you, who gets to make the... It changes who gets to speak, that's for sure. I mean, yeah. you know, that that's true of your project. I mean, what you're doing is trying to sort of center the voices that were actually... Um, that, that continue to be affected by um, street harassment. And that... That yeah. changes the conversation away from like it's in studio and somebody talking about this as a topic versus, you know, on the street, somebody talking about this as an experience. I think when we yeah. move from topic to experience, that that does a, that does us a big service as queer folks. Yes, I think telling the story, I think, is the thing, because when people are then telling me the story about their experience, it kind of, of course, 
makes it real and the way that the the photograph um sort of smuggles the subject matter into the area so you can see this pretty image and then you as soon as you start looking and understanding what that image is and what it represents you it's sort of smuggled that into it so it kind of it's all of those things I guess I suppose that's why it's an art project yeah can I ask you like a this is like a left field question but I'm just thinking Uh about it um you know something that I hear all the time as a performer is about my decision to center queerness in the art that I make. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because it's like, well, I'm queer. I'm like actually just speaking from my own perspective. But when you choose to like push, um, to just be honest about how much your queerness affects your experience, that can, that can change how people perceive you as an artist. It's not like I could talk about anything else, but I'm fine with pushing it to the forefront. So do you find that like, for instance, if you're being interviewed, how yeah. much, how much do you have, do you feel othered as an artist whose topic is, is queer? Like not just a queer artist, but who's also choosing that as their, you know, the centerpiece well, of their world? It's interesting because when I was, um, the, the history of that is interesting for me because when I was a drag queen, I keep talking about it. I don't know why, but I used to be, and it's 20 years ago, but I was a drag queen. And then I, I stopped being a drag queen because I was a bit out of my depth. And then I went to art school to kind of get away from that. And I didn't want to kind of just be seen as a drag queen. I didn't want to be just read as a gay person. I wanted to explore my intelligence and my brain and work out what it was, who I was as a human being. And I wanted to slightly distance myself away from my sexual identity. I wasn't that interested in it. I don't think the most interesting thing about me is my sexuality is what I was trying to get to. And then I did a foundation course for a year and then I did three years of painting and there were big, giant, colour field paintings and and there was lots of blending and lots of kind of colour and all this stuff. And one of my um, examining tutors came up and said, oh, so tell me a bit about yourself and tell me about your work. And they just sort of said, oh, I can see this is just about you being a drag queen. <laughs> These paintings that were like really blended makeup. And I was like, oh, my God. So I kind of, I was, I kind of had to embrace it, I think, because I, I realised as I then went on to do a master's that what I was kind of wrestling with was internalised homophobia because mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't want to kind of just proclaim myself as a gay artist. I wanted to be an artist who was making work about something. I didn't want to just be read as a queer, whatever. I was I was just trying to be, to have my work taken seriously because I think as an artist, you see the artists around, the work isn't taken seriously or it's kind of reduced to, oh yeah, there's some gay work or that's about this and this is gay and that's gay or that's queer or that's lesbian, whatever. And so it took me a while. And when the, it took me a while to get to that point where I could accept myself enough to be fucking angry about the, my experiences and go, you know what? Fuck you, actually. This is really annoying. I am going to own this and I'm going to make work about it. And I am a, an artist who is queer. I am a queer artist, whatever you want to say. And I think it's my work, my career, if you like, has suffered as a result because I, I don't have like exhibitions. I don't exhibit the photographs as much as my peers might do. I'm not, I don't have access to that environment. I have privilege and I have access to festivals and different things, but I I know that that decision has kind of impacted my career. I'm certain of it, but you know, I'm still having a nice time 
even though I'm exploring something horrible, <laughs> but I'm having quite a nice time right. doing what I'm doing because I get to talk to people, I get to meet people, I get to hear their stories. And the thing that's strange is actually, is even though I make this work about homophobia, it's actually quite a joyful thing to reclaim the streets in that way because I'm not a very maudlin person. I will be someone that we're doing a tour or something and planting around a city then I'm sort of talking and we're laughing and we're making jokes about how ridiculous homophobia is we're not just being very very doer so I think I've answered that question yeah you did I really can relate to what you're talking about there I will say Mm. I think that people who have well one thing that happened in the last election here in the U.S. that I, I don't know if you're this is just how I think about this. There, yeah. this the phrase identity politics sort of entered um, the fray as something that a lot of people were commenting on. Even people that um, – like Bernie Sanders who was running as, you know, fully like the most progressive candidate was yeah. using this phrase to talk about how we should all be united over the same issues and we should drop our identity politics. And that really um, – you know, to me, doesn't serve to forward the conversation for for mm. us. I think people that have an otherness to them are already taught to feel shame about bringing up our otherness. Like, we are taught, you know, that, like, what you're saying, it's like, I don't want to be an, a queer artist. I want to be an artist. I don't want to be a queer comic. I want to be a comic. I don't want to be a, mm. a woman on stage. I want to be you know, nothing. But the thing is, is like, that's not even, I am a woman on stage. Like I just am. And pretending as if that's not true um, or trying to speak more generally is just erasure. Like it's self erasure, you know, trying to speak more generally than my experience as a woman and a queer person, it doesn't exist. So it, that doesn't mean that um, every time I'm, I'm on stage as a comic, I'm like, starting every joke with, by saying, as a gay person, but yeah. <laughs> even if I'm not saying that, it's still the eyeballs I'm always looking through, you know? And I think it's really stressful to yeah. try to figure out whether or not we're allowed to bring up at in the workplace, in our families, in our groups of friends, you know, like, am I going to burden my friends when I call them and tell them I just got called a name on the street? The last, yeah. you know, when we started this conversation, I said this happened to me like a month ago and a friend of mine was staying with me and I had uh. called a queer friend of mine and the friend of mine who's staying with me is my oldest friend in the world, but she's straight. And, mm-hmm. um, I called a queer friend and was just like, I just got screamed at in front of my own fucking house by someone I could see. Like, I, you know, I sort of described the story and they were like, oh, man. And I was like, and I've got like my friend staying with me. And like, I don't know how to tell her about this because like she's a straight person. And my friend, my friend that I was talking to was like, wait, but this is like, this is your like oldest friend in the world. And I was like, yeah, but like, you know, I, I feel embarrassed to bring this to her. Like, I felt shame. Wow. I felt embarrassed. Yeah. I was like. I mean, I must, like, be unattractive if someone's yelling at me that I'm a dyke. Like, you know, what does that mean about who I am and everything? And this person on the phone sort of was like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but, like, you have a person inside your house that I'm sure would want to comfort you on this. Yeah. Like, take a risk and, like, give them a chance. And I did. It was hard. But I told this story and this person was like, 
I can't believe that happened. And I'm sorry that happened. And, mm. you know, their response wasn't like a one-to-one sympathy. They didn't like know it from their, but it was like empathy. They could understand, you know. Uh, but that's, isn't that insane? And that, that, yeah. that experience you've just ex- expressed is really, it's kind of emotional, isn't it? Because you kind of, I feel it actually, that kind of emotion of like, wow, this fucking idiot who's just shouted at you who kind of forces you onto this journey and I don't know what they're going through they were just like chuckling to themselves about it or whatever I don't you know it's like you are then going oh god how do I deal with this and do I I tell my friend and that I remember that you know I've had the same experiences and it happens when I don't know if you've ever had it when you've been with another queer person because when I've when I when I've been in a couple and we're both walking down the street, I've, we've both been shouted at, and then suddenly you're united in a different way. But I suppose that's that thing that reminds me of that also really angers me slightly. And it's going back to the thing I'm on the bus is that when we as queer people are with someone of the same sex, and you have to have that chat about whether you can hold hands in public or not. And whether, and whether it's safe to do it or if there's a difference and whether one of you believes you want to or the other one doesn't or all of that decision. And when I speak to straight people about that, they're like, you don't have to talk about that, do you? Yeah. You don't have that kind of conversation. That's something they don't – and it sounds like I'm being really terrible, but, you know, straight people just do not have to have that experience or have that discussion. It's just given. No, I don't think that sounds terrible. I mean, you know, to your – responding to you saying like when you're walking in a couple um one thing that's been true of my experience is that a lot of times when i've been partnered there's been a a presentation differential and so like i actually i have been the more butch one or the more masculine one and i've been the more feminine one and Mm -hmm. when you know i was in a very long relationship with a person that was more masculine presenting than me and I was littler than them so it felt like if we were being called something it was actually them they were actually being called something and then it was sort of my job almost to be the protector as the person who passed a little bit more but I was smaller so it was always like you know there's additional scary things that that happen um now I think um I cut my hair and I think I present more masculine, even though I'm like wearing the same clothes. It's so funny how we read hair, but, um, but I feel like now the words are slung at me Mm. and it was almost easier to be the defender of someone else than it is to be the defender of myself. I don't know. It's, it's, there's so many different nuances to all this stuff that we're talking I know, about. It sucks, doesn't it? It's, sort of, <laughs> it's just, you know, or like, like, even, you know, in your case, you said earlier you're 6'4. It's like, I think if you were with only someone. A drag. Okay, got it. Because my friends who know me are like, he, there's no way he's 6'4. <laughs> well, how tall, how tall are you? How tall are like, you? Like 5'10, 11. 5'10, 11. You know, so, like, yeah. I would imagine also that, like, if you're with a, if you're walking down the street with a man, it's like, you're always navigating like, okay, is the bigger one of us supposed to step up and do something about like, there's so many different ways that we have to negotiate this, even within like queer couples, you know, who's the one that, who's the one that's gonna. Cause often it's, well, for me, in my experience, because often, 
my partner would be roughly the same size. Mm-hmm. So it's more to do with their personality. Who's going to be the sure. one that's going to be like more aggressive or sometimes it's me that's going to like hold me back. Exactly. And then re- there's the one with the arm. There's the one with <laughs> yeah, the mom yeah. arm. And then there's the yeah. one that's like, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's so, it's navigating it over and over again for your life. It's navigating yeah. it in yeah, thanks. different ways and diff- with different <laughs> partners and yeah. fuck. It's so complicated. Uh, Well, I have loved talking to you and I, before I like send you back into your day, I just wanted to take a minute and ask you to shout out a queero, which is a person, place or thing that made you feel like you can be who you are today. It's interesting because I think I'm going to say Alan Turing. Mm. Do you know Alan Turing? Yeah. So he was, he was based in Manchester where I studied. So his impact in the world has been humongous. So when he, you know, he was almost the god godfather of computers and he helped fight and end the Second World War with his enig- breaking the Enigma Code. So I think, and the way that he was treated by the government sucked so much. He, he was, was chemically castrated, right? He, he was, was chemically, chemically castrated, castrated, like yeah. through, a, through court order so that he didn't yeah. have to go to prison. Isn't that what happened? Yeah, but he chose to be castrated or to have the chemical castration over going to prison. Right. And he, I've read some of his the work about him and there's some vagueness about how he actually died. But some people think that he killed himself because it was so horrible. Others think it was um, an accident, but he basically, he woke up, he didn't wake up. His um, housekeeper came to find him with a, an, a bite out of an apple that was laced with cyanide. So there's this kind of very sort of fairy tale, poetic, tragic end to his life that was sort of imbued with homophobia, despite the fact that he was like a hero to the UK and to the world, really, because he basically invented computers. And they formally apologized a couple of years ago, the government, right? Yeah, they have. And there's some talk about him being on the £10 note, but it's it all just feels a bit, you know, crap. Oh you yeah, know, I mean, I could admit not- <laughs> that makes actually like that is so interesting that that is where he was based and that that's where you live because it you know mm. it would seem like that's that's one of the most I think sort of famous examples that we can point to that's just like so clearly injustice. You know, like I think sometimes outside of the community things can. It, people take in a lot of factors that are stupid, you know, it's like, just yeah. like, you know, and, but this is just like, no, this was wrong. And, and it's so yeah. clear. And so I would imagine that, you know, being steeped in that, it makes sense to me that, that then, you know, somebody like you would, would take on the project that you've taken on. That yeah. makes sense. That's a nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, thank you for your time today. Thanks for speaking with me. And also thanks for the work that you do. I, I think this is a beautiful project and I hope to get a chance thank to uh, plant a pansy together someday. That would be great. I don't know if they, I don't know if they like LA. They're really <laughs> tough pansies. We can go somewhere else. Like the heat. <laughs> I travel a lot. Maybe I'll okay. come to you. Yeah. Yes, do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> and, and good luck with the rest of it. Yeah. Thanks cheers. A lot. Bye. 